0: Welcome to the AJP Podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I am your host, Carleen McMoore, and together with the AJP, I am bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like, rate and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Today we're discussing deprescribing, the risks, the benefits, the alternatives. Whose responsibility it is? Is it a hot new topic, or has it always been around? Some of the practical examples and how it's being done in hospital and community, and the fact that it's a natural part of our role. So please hear some people share their expe- experiences and expectations and views on deprescribing. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Penny Wood gives an example using PPIs, and that we should be making sure that we're having the important deprescribing conversations with patients
1: ppis are one of those big ones like last time i worked in the pharmacy i had two conversations with two people about their ppis about the ongoing use they didn't realize there was risks with ongoing use they didn't really need them anymore when i had that they were like oh my goodness i'll have to go and have a chat to my doctor but no one had actually talked to them about do you actually need this anymore what's going on there's actually a risk of using it long term you know but it's just making sure we have those conversations and i think both gps and pharmacists are guilty of of that or even if you just explain to the patient you know you might feel you might get your symptoms back for three days or so when you stop it but then that it'll it'll peter out and it'll be fine
0: Tinu Abraham and Taryn Gill talk about reducing the drug index burden patient-centered care fears of litigation and pharmacists being one part of the solution of deprescribing as well as medication safety
2: yeah, certainly. I guess being a HMI accredited pharmacist, um, deprescribing is key um, to like I guess reducing the burden that that drug in- drug burden index, particularly in aged care. So I, I am pro it. There's lots of reasons to um, like why we got simvastatin 80 on someone in a nursing home who who just it, it's not patient centred care. I remember when I was first accredited though, there, there was a lot of things pharmacists being worried about litigation around like what if I recommend deprescribing and, and Mrs. Smith has a stroke that next week. Well, I feel like Mrs. Smith was always going to have that stroke next week. Um, So, yeah, I think it is it is a bit of a, um, a hot topic. But I have to wonder, do the doctors get as much CPD around deprescribing as we do? Because they're the ones that need to deprescribe. Right, yeah. <laughs> we can recommend. So, I mean, it goes two ways. Like every hospital admission, one of my aged care facility patients comes home with like three new meds. Um so yeah i 'm pro it we need to do it more, but I think we 're only one part of it because we 're not actually the ones that can deprescribe We can only recommend to deprescribe yeah, and in my practice, I guess doing um, we do sometimes simple drug use audits um, or evaluations, and we can recommend de prescribing there i fortunate because I work with a GPS right there, and you can you 've got more of a relationship to say, "Can you look into this, and we can work together to deprescribe as well um, resources like um that um, like the Tasmania, the prescribing and other resources have been quite useful as well. So it is, I think it's a good, critical part of I guess of medication safety and a good um yeah, a good yeah, um area of pharmacy that is now getting this much-needed spotlight. I guess.
0: Ross Siuki talks about how it's a natural part of our role. He discusses protocols and also discusses patients who are undertreated and finding a balance.
3: This is the kind of thing that I see as uh. Uh, this is a natural thing for pharmacists uh, who who see all these problems uh, anyway, and, and so we have a pretty strong uh, deprescribing group in in uh, in Canada, you know, deprescribing dot org, and they they have developed protocols that anyone can use to take people off proton pump inhibitors and you know all the all the drugs that people are on for a thousand years, uh, and so absolutely that's a it's a it's a good role uh, for pharmacists because uh, we're looking at the medications anyway. Uh, And, and, you know, the pendulum sometimes swings and, uh, and so now it's swung in favor of deprescribing, which is, I think a good thing. Uh, But also we also see a lot of people undertreated for hypertension, dyslipidemia, heart failure, you name it. Uh, And uh, so, so there's got to be some sort of balance because, yeah, get rid of the drugs that they no longer need to be on or actually never needed to be on, but also you need to assess them for preventive things that, that, that should be done. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, there's, there's room kind of on both sides. I don't see it as you either do deprescribing or you do prescribing. You do both. You take care of the patient. Uh.
0: Rachel Dina and Peter Crothers discuss elderly patients' Adverse events, discussions with the patients, risk versus benefit, that there's nothing new about deprescribing, rationalising the treatment regimen, and they also discuss different moral values.
4: I um, I love the deprescribing movement uh, because you see so often that, and I think this is through um, lack of pharmacist previously lack of... Um, medication use review services for individuals on multiple medications where, you know, constantly there'll be an adverse effect that isn't identified and therefore they'll be given medications. But then, you know, that that's one aspect of it that, you know, is great for, you know, looking at which medications can be refined and potentially removed. And then you've got the issue around um, ageing and, um, um, you know, geriatric pharmacy where... You know, if we are going and give someone, you know, a statin that'll help their life in, you know, 10 years and they're 85 and, you know, they possibly have a couple of years to live, then, you know, we need to seriously look at what is to do with what... ..maybe what um, physical symptoms are to do with medication the person's taking around their quality of life and just trialling, you know, trialling massive deprescribing... Um, which is something, you know, that is commonly looked at in, you know, nursing homes. So, and I've heard, of, I've had a couple of cases where the patient just, their energy, their mental um, ability and everything massively improves. So, and I think that where possible, engaging with the actual patient around their desires to do that, and and their choice around it, but I, I think it's certainly really, really important for us to be focusing on what medicines aren't needed, or where risk versus of benefit, um, you know, should be considered around that.
5: I, I worry a little bit, Rachel, that it's not um, that it's a bit that it's a, too narrow a concept. It, there's nothing new about it at all. Um you know I got a story where I was working on orthopedic ward in nineteen seventy eight and there was a patient there that was on about sixteen medications and as pharmacists we were concerned that um, that you know so, some of the medications that the patient were on uh, was on um, were as a result of adverse effects from other medications and and we had a we had a very gung ho orthopedic registrar. The the patient was not there for medical reasons; they were there for surgical reasons. But we had a had a registrar who was gung ho in the way that only orthopaedic surgeons can be, and he said, "Right, eh? Let's just cut the lot. Let's see what happens. We've got her in hospital. Let's see what happens." You know, and what had happened was the patient had congestive cardiac failure, and instead of being put on furosemide, they had been put on the thiazide. And the thiazide had precipitated um, gout and uh, diabetic problems and it had just gone on and on and on, you know. So we were... De- and and, and prescribing wasn't even new then. The thing that concerns me a little bit is that every generation of early-career pharmacists or every generation of pharmacists thinks that they're the first people to discover it. And they pursue it as an end in itself. And it's not. It's very, very important. It's very, it, it, it's, it's very, very important... Means to an end, but it isn't an end in itself. You know, it is not a valid therapeutic objective to say, let's deprescribe. It's a way in which you make the patient's um, medication more appropriate. It's the way in which you rationalise the regimen, but there are lots of other ways in which you rationalise the regimen. Um, <clears throat> you know, it might be using an ARB instead of an ACE, or, or you know... or and hundreds of you know different uh examples of it but i i I just think that by you know giving it by capitalizing the first letter if you like of deep of deep and and putting it as a almost as a title um you know on on uh, you know a, a subject heading in it in its own that just sort of bothers me a little bit you know, and the same it just seems, you know, unnecessarily unidimensional to me, and I think that I think that the prescribers are probably secretly having a little bit of a chuckle um, at us, you know, because they're saying, oh, you know, they're the pharmacy you know, do prescribing, yeah, well, you know, we all get it, um, but you know, don't they realise there's more to it than that? That so. That's my little sort of um, devil's advocate bit, I suppose. I. I um, yeah, it's important. It's self-evidently important, um, but you know we shouldn't teach it as a subject. We, we we should have it as a tool in the kit. It should be. We should be ever aware of of the um, possibility of polypharmacy and the and the, and the need to, uh, and not just polypharmacy, but just the need to minimise people's medications as they get older and whatever. You know. And the other thing is that. People's moral values, and, and their ethical values as, as clinicians, uh, interfere with it all the time. You know, I've, I've got a very very good um, visiting um, medical specialist who comes to our community. He's he's he's, he's basically a nephrologist, but he but but he, he he functions as effectively as an endocrinologist and sort of consultant physician, uh, like an old fashioned consultant physician, and we're forever at him about de-prescribing. But his personal moral values as a doctor just prevent him from doing it. You know, trying to get him, you know, to to cease the statin, you know, when the patient is in sort of end stage is it, just a complete waste of time. Uh, it's uh, Which really sort of surprised me because, you know, I sort of thought everybody would be sort of... Um, you know, have this sort of rational attitude that I've, that I've got. But um, I, I did, really important, but I just think that people get a little bit too caught up on it.
4: Beautifully articulated. I was glued to that. Um, <laughs> as you say, it's, it's a component of our yeah. responsibility around yeah. optimising medicine use yeah. and um, maximising um, yeah. quality of life.
5: Is yeah. 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 But let's but let's take, take the capital D off the front of it, and 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 just just have it as a word in our vocabulary, rather than a than a crusade, um, and and think of all the other things that surround it. That's a good yeah. message for young pharmacists. I <laughs>
6: know.
0: Amanda Cross discusses that deprescribing is part of the prescribing continuum. She discusses the evidence to support it and the barriers to deprescribing. Whose responsibility is it?
7: Well, yeah, I guess deprescribing is not a new topic a new idea it's it's always been part of the prescribing continuum where you start a medicine you review how it's going you change the dose you change the medicine or you stop it if it's not appropriate Um, I guess the challenge comes when someone's been on that for a number of years and the while there may be potential harm there it's hard to hard to define and it may not be the priority in terms of our time poor kind of world um, for a GP to sort of look at that medicine, or for a, the person to come in and say, "Can you review my medicine?" and so that is a major barrier to it. The other barrier, I guess, is the evidence behind deprescribing. So there's a growing amount of evidence, but it's still in terms of how we do it, what we need to do, when we do it, it's still not mainstream enough that everyone knows. Every health professional knows it, so these things get pushed back because they're managing you know the pneumonia the person's come in with or the sore knee or the recent heart attack the like the more immediate concerns take the 10 minute consultation or take the conversation when you're picking up a prescription so that is one challenge with deprescribing one of the main barriers um the other thing is about someone taking responsibility as amy has said um so um For my PhD, we looked at uh, de-prescribing in a memory clinic setting. Um, So that sort of early stage where people are diagnosed with cognitive impairment and there are likely changes in goals of care because they may be getting diagnosed with the dementia. And as uh, someone in that area, it made sense that this is definitely the time that we should be reviewing all their medicines and de-prescribing and rationalising everything that they're on. But then the memory clinic would often say like we're here just to diagnose we're not going to touch what the heart specialist started the what the urologist started or we'll, we might make some recommendations but we'll send it back to the GP and then you've got that poor time poor GP who's then got six specialists all saying things and again it becomes a challenge so yeah finding every, time for everyone to sort of have that case conference and sit down with the consumer and uh, with the patient with the patient's family and find out what their goals of care are what like and explain look this medicine may be causing harm can we try reducing the dose or can we try stopping it Um, because sometimes particularly in the cognitive impairment space stopping a medicine makes people think that you're giving up on them that they're already one foot in the grave and why if you're stopping medicines then you obviously don't care so it can be a really challenging um, time to stop the medicines but it just takes that um, you just need to step back and have that conversation and explain why we're looking at doing this and the fact that it is a trial often helps like say look we'll trial reducing this medicine and we'll trial an alternative medicine it's not we're cutting you off it um, can help so that yeah understanding the patient and understanding their goals and explaining it um, can help with the deep prescribing as well.
6: I find that's really correct, Amanda. I mean, a lot of my conversations during home medicine reviews with people about, you know, use their calcium as an example. You know, I'll say, you know, yes, you know, we used to recommend that everybody used calcium once they got women used calcium after they got to menopause. But now um, we've got new evidence and that evidence suggests that we don't use it just as a... Preventative, And I find people are actually really accepting of that idea that evidence changes mm-hmm. over time. So what was recommended five years ago or 10 years ago might not be the current recommendation. Um, so I've found that that's a really important way of doing it, yeah. a really useful way.
0: Amy Page shares on polypharmacy and using five or more medications and the consequences. She talks about symptomatic treatments being used for too long and also discusses who should be de-prescribing and considering the patient goals.
6: Many older Australians are living with multiple chronic diseases so it's really fantastic that today we've got so many great medicines that reduce our risk of having a heart attack, stroke, fracture. Um, We've got amazing medicines that that help with symptoms if we've got reflux, headaches, nausea, um, pain but unfortunately sometimes some people end up using medicines for longer than they should so they might be on them for 10 or 20 years without having them properly and thoroughly reviewed. So when they end up taking a lot of different medicines particularly if it's five or more which is the most common definition of polypharmacy Um, we know that there's an increased risk of harm. So some of those harms that we know that are associated... We don't know if they're caused by polypharmacy, but we know that they're associated with polypharmacy are things like an increased risk of falls, fractures, hospital admissions, even premature death. Um, We don't actually know if polypharmacy is causing this, um, though we do have a few hints that it might be. Um, Sarah Hilmer's group up in Sydney did some research looking at mice with polypharmacy. So they gave five common medicines. I forget what they were, like statin, proton pump inhibitors, some couple of blood pressure ones or something, to a group, one group of mice and not to the other group of mice. And then they put these mice through their paces because there's apparently a fr- ma- mouse frailty index where you pop the mice through their paces so you know how long can they tread water in a bucket or hold onto a rope and all these sort of things like, you know, really fun things for a mouse. I mean, I'm sure they get a lot of pleasure out of it. Um, So the group that were given polypharmacy became more frail than those that were not given polypharmacy. And then once they withdrew the medicines, uh, the group that had the medicines withdrawn um, compared to those that continued, they kind of improved, but they never returned to their baseline function. So... It becomes really important to make sure that we're actually not getting to the point where these problems are emerging. Um, there are some hints that age is potentially uh, an issue here too. So looking at research on deprescribing in people under 65, that or polypharmacy, there doesn't seem to, we don't have that same evidence that the polypharmacy is causing the harm or that deprescribing is a good thing. I mean, obviously, unnecessary medicines that don't have an indication, blah, 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 should be stopped. I mean, that's not part of the question. Um, But if, you know, just for trying to reduce polypharmacy... But then for people over 65 and under 80, for deprescribing, there seems to be this really golden opportunity where you might actually be able to improve outcomes more than once they hit 80. So possibly by the time somebody's hit 80, some of the damage is already done from the use of too many medicines. So we really need to be making sure we don't get to that problem instead of just waiting until the problem happens and then starting to fix it. And as you alluded to in your question, um, there's been some research again in Sydney by Lisa Kaladjian um, asking GPs and specialists and accredited pharmacists who should be deprescribing Oh, and what they thought about deprescribing and they all said deprescribing is great everybody should be being deprescribed but it's somebody else's responsibility so the GP said the specialist should be doing it the specialist said the GP should be doing it and the accredited pharmacist said well I recommend it and nobody does it um, so we've got a real issue where we actually just need it to be somebody who's initiating these conversations and it doesn't even matter if it's the consumer, their carer uh, carer, the uh, a nurse uh, allied health pharmacist GP specialist we just need people to start having these conversations because in my research when we were looking at deprescribing in people with dementia it was really interesting that the GPs were saying we prescribe because that's what the families want and that's what the patients want but the carers and the patients were saying um no actually we don't want that Um, We're not having these conversations about what we want out of our medicines. So I think that's the key message with deprescribing, is making sure that we get patients' goals ascertained and making sure that their medication use aligns with what they're actually taking instead of just um, assuming (coughs) that we know what they want. Um, But it's not been done over a long time. We know that the problem with polypharmacy is getting worse. I mean, my recent paper showed that uh, the absolute number of people using five or more medicines has uh, increased um, by 52% since 2006. It's now at almost a million people, and that was a conservative estimate because we're only including medicines on the PBS. So no over-the-counter medicines, no paracetamol or aspirin, no comp meds, you know, So it was a conservative estimate and that was partly because the population is ageing, uh, which is obviously a good thing, um, but even once you took into account pe- the uh, number of the o- older people, um, it still had increased um, by the proportion of older people who were using five or more, it increased by 9% as well, so that's not such a wonderful thing. So we do need to be doing more and it needs to be at the front of everybody's minds.
0: Steve Morris discusses how it's more challenging to deprescribe than to prescribe and that it requires support, collaboration, balancing the risks and the benefits as well as looking at the alternatives and it being more than just behavioural change.
8: Yeah, look, I think that de- de-prescribing has become a, a vogue expression for quite a few years now. And I think for, for many in health professions it 's more challenging to de prescribe than prescribe from my experience. I think what we have to do is support both health professionals but also provide information to consumers around challenging as to why um, they 're taking medicines so I think it's actually it should be a collaborative um, decisions between both healthcare professionals and consumers about really questioning why we need to continue to take medicines what are the risks of not taking those medicines what are the alternatives which may be non-medication related so I don't think it's as simple as, as behaviour change in prescribers I think it's really a joint uh, effort really between consumers really understanding and, and, and able to make informed decisions around their medicines but also about healthcare professionals working with consumers to help them make those decisions
0: Lauren Burton chairs on the quality use of medicines being busy and reconciling all the information, and thinking of patients holistically.
1: Yeah, I think deprescribing is um, one of the solutions we've identified to tackling the, the polypharmacy issue with um, regards to quality use of medicines. And I guess um, with how busy healthcare professionals are, and how often we are uh, caught between a rock and a hard place with the the issue that a patient might present with in that in that. Um, in that interaction, whether it be acute, acute uh, situation or um, a a scheduled checkup for a chronic condition, um, it's really challenging uh, to find the time to actually reconcile everything that's going on. Um, working in the hospital setting, we often see um, have a need to try and reconcile all of this information, and and you can only imagine how challenging it would be in a primary care environment. Um, especially while we don't have electronic systems and and digital technologies embedded to ensure quality information and data about patients is easily accessible. Um, The the ability to access information about patients is is just so challenging sometimes. You really do depend on the patient. Um, There are so many different elements of um, patient care at the moment. There's specialists, there's the GP, pharmacy. um, The list goes on, allied health. Um, So... You know, when it comes to deprescribing, prescribing um, it will be. A, it's a really important role for both um, medical practitioners and pharmacists to play, where we reconcile and consider the need for a medication moving forward, um, the impact of that taking that medication on a, a on a patient's um, wellbeing, and thinking about the patient holistically, but also whether or not that medication is is um, it, required or not um and, and whether or not we, you can reconcile that so deep prescribing is going to play a critical role moving forward and we really need to make sure that we allow within our health system um our practitioners the thinking time to stop and and, and think about the medication picture and 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 have a conversation about how, how things should be going moving forward medication burden on patients is also a big deal um the cost of medications we have our pbs and it's It's an amazing system. We're very fortunate in Australia. But the cost is not insignificant to patients when you're on multiple medications, especially in patients with chronic disease. It's not uncommon for them to be on 10 to 15 medications. And so we really need to think about the impact that has on a patient when they're having to stop four times a day to take medications. That can be quite a big burden on them. So I think we do have a responsibility to find ways to ensure deprescribing is embedded in, in our everyday
9: practice.
0: Diana Mills discusses her role in hospital regarding deprescribing as well as vitamins and the importance of follow up.
9: So, for myself, having worked in hospital pharmacy, a lot of my job was advising on deprescribing. You see a lot of elderly patients come in, you see a lot of polypharmacy, they've had a fall, um, and part of my role was usually to go and do a medication review and advise where we could deprescribe where we could um, reduce some of those medications that might be doing harm or having negative effects on the patient. Um, One of the things I found quite interesting in the hospital setting was that you get these elderly patients that come in on multiple medications, you start to deprescribe their anticholinergics and um, opioids and whatever else you can to try and make things better for them. And then someone comes along and prescribes them five or six vitamins because they're a bit malnourished. Um, so then their medication count goes back up, perhaps with less um, less risky medications. But they're still putting a burden on the patient by having to take six or seven tablets. Um, so I found... Our role in deprescribing is really important, and it doesn't just end with one review. You need to keep following up with the team, following up with that patient, trying to communicate with their GP if you can, or at transition, try to speak to their community pharmacist and say, hey, I think these things still need to be reviewed. Um, can you have a look in a few days when they're meant to see their GP? Um so pharmacists are very well placed with our drug knowledge to advise on those things and I think that it's something that we should continue to do. There's so much fantastic research on what we should be doing and that we do it well. So, Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, um, a really important um, point that people are becoming more
6: aware of and more interested in. Um, I'm personally quite interested in it. My current fourth-year research project is all around um, deprescribing. But, yeah, I just think the more people are aware that it's a role that pharmacists can play, the, I guess, the better... Where was I going with that? Sorry. Um, I guess just the awareness that we do play a role in that and we're in the perfect position, as Diana said, to make the most impact on, especially the
9: elderly... Where they might affect predominantly. 100% something pharmacists should be championing you? Championing, championing. <laughs> um, within this space. If you're doing a medication review of any sort, that should be something we're thinking
0: about. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please send an email to ajppodcast at appco.com.au or follow us on Twitter at AJPPodcast.